0: First of all, I would like to say what a powerful Sunday last Sunday was. I didn't really get to say a whole lot last week uh, to say thank you again for this great invitation for calling us to be the next pastor at Ephrata Church of the Nazarene. And what a humble honor that is. And in addition to that, um, the... uh, celebration and the food and all that that was a part of it, wow, wow, praise the Lord and just uh, the good food and fellowship and getting to know you and all that, uh, what a wonderful day and a weekend and, and, and in a whole month we've been here almost, uh, actually, I think it is a month, uh, it's right at a month, so um, we have thoroughly enjoyed every minute of being here And we are excited what God is doing. You have rolled out the red carpets for us. And and it has been a learning experience I've shared with Dad. I actually enjoy this role of learning and following him around. Following all of the different leaders and and finding out what's all going on. And uh, helping with many of the projects that are going on. I, I love this role. I really do. And, uh, and and I shared with him he, he could just stay on as long as he wants. and I'm enjoying this. So um, I do want to say thank you to all of you that have been helping with this transition. The next couple weeks. I you may not see me the full Sundays both weeks. I'm going to one week be going out to Lebanon Valley and checking out that campus. and the other week checking out Mount Hope and what's going there on a sunny morning. I've been out there several times through the week, but not on a Sunday. And so, Um, Some be anxious to see all what's going on there as well. Speaking of dinners, I want to share with you an illustration I think that will explain what we're talking about this morning a little bit. There was a young man who was invited to an old-fashioned Sunday school picnic. And he was the typical young little boy. At the last minute remembered... ...that he was supposed to bring something. And he went home and asked his mom... ...mom I've been invited to the church Sunday school picnic... ...and I'm supposed to bring something. And she being frustrated as she was... ...by him just telling her at that moment... ...on a Sunday morning... ...right before he was to go to church... ...and the dinner would be following at the the park... ...she said we don't have anything for you to bring... He said, Mom, you don't understand. I've got to bring something. And she said, well, you can look around and you take whatever you can find. You're welcome to it. So he looked around and sure enough, he looked and he found a couple pieces of old stale bread and a piece of bologna in the refrigerator. That's all he could find, so he slapped that together and he put it in a sack and he thought, well, at least I have something to eat. And so he went to church that day, and sure enough, right after church, they all went to the park and gathered together, and, and there he was carrying his little paper sack of a bologna sandwich. One of the elderly ladies that were there had quite a large picnic basket. And she set it down on the table, and he watched as she pulled out fried chicken. Now, that's one of my favorites, I've got to tell you. Fried chicken and baked beans and potato salad and homemade rolls and sliced tomatoes and pickles and olives and celery and then two big homemade chocolate pies. Are you hungry? <laughs> she set all that out before her and uh, he was a little bit embarrassed by his just little sack of uh, bologna sandwich. He wasn't sure where to sit and he looked and all the other seats were taken. And he thought, well, I can't possibly sit next to this lady that has all these goodies. She happened to look up and saw him looking for a seat. And she invited him to come over and sit right across from her. So he did and he sat down there. And just as she was beginning to fill her plate full of the goodies that she had brought, she happened to look up and she saw that bologna sandwich that he pulled out. She said, my young man, that's an awful good-looking bologna sandwich that you've got there. She said, I want you to know that bologna sandwiches are my favorite. And she said, I just wonder if you would be willing to share your bologna sandwich and I'll be willing to share all that I brought with you today. And he looked down at his bologna sandwich and he looked back up at her. He said, I can't possibly trade you for this stale bologna sandwich for all that you have there. And she said, but I would like to share with you. I would like to share with you all that I have. He then cut his stale bologna sandwich and gave her half. And she filled up his plate, overflowing. Overflowing. And put it before him. You see this morning we're, we've all got just an old stale bologna sandwich. And God has so much for us. And we go to him and we say, God we just like our bologna sandwich. And we're happy with our life and where we are and what's going on in our life. And God says, no if you're just willing to give a little. And really a lot. How much more does he have for us? We're going to be looking at sanctification this morning. And we're going to read together. This is a long article of faith I want you to know. And so let's read it together. And then we're going to get into the meaning of what sanctification is. This is Article of Faith number 10. Read with me together. Christian Holiness and Entire Sanctification. We believe that entire sanctification is the work of God... ...which transforms believers into the likeness of Christ. It is wrought by God's grace through the Holy Spirit... ...in initial sanctification or regeneration... ...simultaneous with justification... Entire sanctification and the continuing perfecting work of the Holy Spirit culminating in glorification. In glorification, we are fully conformed to the image of the Son. We believe that entire sanctification is the act of God subsequent to regeneration by which believers are made free from original sin or depravity and brought into a state of entire devotion. To God and the holy obedience of love made perfect. It is wrought by the baptism with or in filling of the Holy Spirit and comprehends in one experience the cleansing of the heart from sin and the abiding indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, empowering the believer for life and service. Entire sanctification is provided by the blood of Jesus is wrought instantaneously by grace through faith, preceded by entire consecration, and to this work and state of grace the Holy Spirit bears witness. This experience is also known by various terms representing its different phases, such as Christian perfection, perfect love, heart purity, the baptism with or in filling of the Holy Spirit, the fullness of the blessing, and Christian holiness. We believe that there is a marked distinction between a pure heart and a mature character. The former is abstained in an instant, the result of entire sanctification. The latter is the result of growth in grace. We believe that the grace of entire sanctification includes the divine impulse to grow in grace... ...as a Christ-like disciple. However, this impulse must be consciously nurtured... ...and careful attention given to the requisites and processes of spiritual development... ...and improvement in Christ-likeness of character and personality. Without such purposeful endeavor, one's witness may be impaired... ...and the grace itself frustrated and ultimately lost participating in the means of grace, especially the fellowship disciplines and sacraments of the church, believers grow in grace and in wholehearted love to God and neighbor. Wow. That is a long article of faith. We have to say this morning that sanctification is a key doctrine in the church of the Nazarene and in most, if not all, holiness denominations. And so this morning, this is uh, quite a privilege to preach our main doctrine to you this morning. One of our key, I should say, doctrine that we have in the Church of the Nazarene. I want to share with you, I had a, a meeting some time ago. Um, the pastors on the Central Florida District were invited to a, a sit-down time with Dr. John A. Knight. Now many of you that have been a part of the church in Nazarene might remember that name. That is a retired general superintendent. Uh, has uh, been around for quite some time. We had the opportunity to ask him any questions that we wanted to ask him. And so the pastor said, you know, we teach and preach sanctification all the time. But we want to hear from the horse's mouth what you have to say. What do you say about sanctification? And I wrote some notes down. And there's three phrases I want to share with you this morning... That he, ...how he describes sanctification and holiness. And we're going to get into both of those this morning. Sanctification, he said, is the act or process of God's divine grace by which man or woman is made holy. Let me read that again. Sanctification is the act or process of God's divine grace by which man or woman is made holy. Sanctification is the means to holy living. And in a word, holiness is Christ-likeness. Holiness is Christ-like. I want you to know that when he said those words and I was writing them down as fast as I could, those have stuck, stood by me these, these many years as a pastor. And, and, and I want you to know that they have, they have become what I teach and preach. And I, I believe that's what God wants us to understand. I have often shared with, um, with many people, I've had young Christians that have come and said, Pastor, I need you to explain in layman's term, terms what this sanctification is. And we're going to get into this morning all the, the biblical meaning of sanctification and the history and the background and all that in the Old and New Testament. But one of the things that I always do when I sit down with a new believer and I begin to talk to him about it, I share with them that it's a, it's a total surrender to Jesus Christ. It's a total commitment. What I explain is is when you first come to know Jesus when you're saved at conversion. And by the way John Wesley says that's initial sanctification. And, and, And that process, what happens at that moment when you ask the Lord to come in your heart and forgive your sins at that moment you really don't fully understand what it means to be a Christian. You understand that that God is calling you to serve Him and to follow Him. You understand that you have sin in your life and you need to ask God to forgive you of that sin. And so at that moment of conversion, you're asking the Lord, Lord, would you come into my heart, my life? Would you forgive my sin? At that moment, God does that. And He radically transforms your life. You are a new creation in Jesus Christ at that moment. And then what begins to happen at that point on, it's an amazing process. Because at that moment, God begins to work on your heart with sanctification. But there becomes a point where we are sanctified. And and hear me out. What happens is we get to that point where God begins to knock on our heart's door. And he says, you know what? You gave me your sin. You asked me and invited me to come into your life. But have you given me your all? Have you surrendered your whole life, your will, your future, your past, your present? Your dreams, your hopes, your finances, your jobs, your families, everything. Have you submitted your all to me? And there comes a moment where you, at that moment, say, Lord, I want to do that. I I don't want you just to have my sin and forgive my sin, but, but Lord, I want to serve you completely and wholly. I want every part of my life to be in your hands, and I want to serve you throughout my whole life. And at that moment, we believe that's when a person is sanctified, when they're willing to give their all to Jesus Christ. Now, John A. Knight, when we met with him, Dr. Knight General Superintendent, he gave us an illustration, and it stuck with me. It's as if you would take a sponge. You, you know, sp- sponges are, are great for washing cars and doing all kinds of things. By the way, I thought I had one to bring for an illustration this morning, and it's either in a pack box still or uh, somewhere in Rockledge. Um, but, um, and I didn't realize until about 9.30 last night uh, that I didn't have it. And I thought I still had it. But I was going to bring that this morning as an illustration. Anyway, it's a, a sponge, as you know. And Dr. Knight said that, you know, when we take a dry sponge and we take it underwater and we squeeze it, what happens? All that air that's in there, it all comes out. He was talking to us about what happens when we, we are sanctified. We, we dunk ourselves under that Holy Spirit. And what He does when we've committed our whole lives to Him and all of those hopes and dreams and plans that we have now become gods. All of those carnal nature that we that has been within us that becomes gods. All of those things that we want instead of what God wants all becomes us and that all goes out. But what happens is when that sponge then is released in that water it is filled completely with God's presence with First of all, water, but, but it represents God's presence. It represents what God can do in our lives by totally, completely taking our lives wholly and making a humongous difference in our lives. I ask you this morning, before we go on any further, have you made that commitment to the Lord? Have you asked him to come into your heart and life and have you asked him to take all of you, every part of you, a full surrender? Now I've explained the act of sanctification. At that point, you are sanctified. But it's not only an act, or as we have said in our denomination, a crisis experience. But it's also a process. You see, the process begins at that point from there on out. Every single day, it's a process. God is helping you to become more like Him every day. Every day. You know, I've been a Christian a long time. I shared my testimony with you just a couple weeks ago. That summer that I was saved... It was at a junior high camp and I gave my heart to the Lord and my life was changed at that moment, completely. But I want you to know that it was later on that summer and I had had an opportunity after I came back from junior high camp. We, we just had Pastor Ken Higginbotham that came to be our, our youth pastor in Logan, West Virginia. I've Had a long history with Ken and Norma. What a wonderful part of our lives they are to us. And I remember, just, just like yesterday, Ken pulled me aside and he asked if he could take me out for a Coke. He'd say, let me take you out for a Coke. But he ended up buying us a whole meal. That was a good deal, if you ask me. And, and we would go, and I remember he, it was a Burger Chef. Those are an old chain that used to be around. Burger Chef there on, uh, in Logan, West Virginia. And I sat down with him, and he said, Rocky, I heard what happened to you earlier this summer. You gave your heart to the Lord and you understand what that means? And I said, oh, yes, I do. I've given my heart and my life to him, and he's forgiven my sins, and I'm living for him now. And he said, Rocky, you're right on. That's right. But he said, Rocky, do you know what? God wants all of you. He doesn't want just part of you. He doesn't want the sin that you gave him, but he wants you to surrender your whole life to him. And I said, well, I thought I did that. And he said, well... He said, um, just trust me on this. You ask the Lord if there's anything in your life that you can surrender to Him. And you begin praying that prayer and see what happens. I began that and that was in July. I went to junior high camp and it was just about a month later. I went to family camp. And I was sitting there at family camp and And I remember, just like yesterday, that old song, Oh, How the Fire Fell. You remember that song? It's on sanctification and the the evangelist had preached on sanctification. And I knew the Lord was speaking to me right then and there and I walked out of my seat. And again, that was the longest aisle of my life and walked down there and totally surrendered my heart to Him. Now that was the act. That was the crisis moment when I gave my heart to Him. But can I tell you, after all these years of serving the Lord, there's probably not a day that doesn't go by that as I'm reading my devotions or I'm communing with God throughout the day that the Lord doesn't yank me around the neck some way and say, hey, did you just read that in my word? Did you just hear that? How are you doing on that? And I go, oh, all right, Lord, I hear you. I hear what you're saying. Lord, would you help me with that? I need to work on that, Lord. And there's not a day that hasn't go by that that process, process hasn't continued day after day. And so it's a lifelong process until we reach heaven's gates. Now, there's been many a people that have criticized, not just the church of Nazarene, but Wesleyans and uh, any of the uh, denominations that are in the holiness movement, Um, basically they have criticized and said that church thinks they're perfect oh we're far from it we all know that but we know that God begins a work in our heart and life at that moment that we learn on a daily basis to become more and more and more like him we've never claimed to be perfect and we never will Not until we reach heaven's gates and he gives us those new bodies and and glorifies uh, his work. And never will that happen until that day. But on this earth, it's a constant, continual process to become more and more like him. Let's break this up. I've got four simple points this morning that I want to share with you. First of all, Hebrews 12, 14 says, Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Why are we talking about sanctification and holiness? Because God wanted to make it very clear that He wanted us to strive to be holy as He is holy. In fact, if we go to sanctification and holiness in the Old Testament, let's look at this for a minute. Leviticus chapter 11 verse 45 says, Be holy as I am holy. That phrase is repeated four times throughout the Old Testament alone. And I want you to know that that there is a common theme of holiness and sanctification that comes from the Old Testament that we need to understand. And that theme originated in the Old Testament but actually continued on through the New Testament. Three things. Number one, God alone is holy in Himself. God alone is holy in himself. We know, we just sang that this morning, didn't we? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We know that God is holy. Secondly, holiness in human beings is present only when in relation to God. Holiness is present only so long as the person is in right relation to God. Folks, you can't be holy or strive for holiness and not be in right relation to God. Thirdly this morning, holiness in human beings is understood to be God-likeness. Now in the New Testament, that changes from God-likeness to Christ-likeness. And we'll talk more about that in just a second here. But there is a major difference what happens from Old Testament to New Testament. For even when I preach... Uh, several Sundays ago, uh, we talked about uh, atonement in the Old Testament versus the New Testament. And there was, in the Old Testament, the, the sprinkling of blood and the sacrificing of animals for the forgiveness of sins. And we know that in the New Testament, it's Jesus Christ. He paid the penalty for our sins once and for all, for all times, for all human beings. And so in the Old Testament, we see that one is made holy or sanctified by certain rituals. Such as the sprinkling of blood or other acts of purifications. And in the Old Testament, it is typically known as an external act. An external act. And so year after year, the priests would go through their duty of sacrificing the sins and then have to come back the next year and do it again and again and again. As well as the other acts of purifications that took place and all the laws. And then when Jesus Christ came, that changed it all, didn't it? In the New Testament, call to holiness is a call to Christ-likeness. The very nature of God is now given clear in the definition by the person of Jesus Christ. He is described as the exact image of God. Therefore, the command to be holy as God is holy becomes a call to be Christ-like in nature and behavior. 1 John chapter 2, verse 6 says, Whoever claims... To live in him must walk as Jesus did. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 John. We're also going to be reading chapter 2, verses 28 through chapter 3, verse 10 here. Powerful scripture. This has to do with our sanctification walk. It has to do with what God is calling each of us this morning to do. Again, 1 John chapter 2, starting with verse 28 there. And now... Dear children, continue in him so that when he appears we may be confident and unashamed before him at his second coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that It did not know him, dear friends. Now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But if you know that he appears so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who, he who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appears, appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God's will of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. Let me read that verse nine again. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does, who does not love his brother. Wow, what a powerful scripture. I ran across an old illustration by uh, Uncle Bud Robinson. Do you remember him? Some of you old-timers? Uh, he uh, died in 1942, so I have to say, old timers there. Uh, some of you have read though his writings and all that his his sermons uh, since then. But he shared an experience of when he was sanctified. I think fits perfectly with what we just read. He said, "When I was sought to be sanctified, I had that strange, peculiar feeling." That God was so close to me that my soul trembled in God's present presence... ...and it seemed that God kindled up a fire in the very bottom of my heart. The only way that I can describe the feeling is that anger boiled up... ...and God skimmed it off. Now you remember that process of making butter? Boy, this area should know, if any area... Uh, the process of making butter and you you, uh, have to wait for the impurities to come to the top and you skim it off and then you wait some more and skim off some more and that's what he's describing here and he said anger came boiled up and God skimmed it off pride boiled up and God skimmed it off envy boiled up and God skimmed it off until it seemed to me I was all going to skimmings I said Lord there won't be anything left to me God seemed to say there will not be much left but what I What little there is, it will be clean. When my heart was emptied, then it seemed that a river of peace broke loose in the clouds. It was as sweet as honey in the honeycomb. It flowed into my empty heart until a few minutes later my heart was full and overflowing and the waves of heaven became so great and grand and glorious that it seemed to me I would die if God did not stay His hand. I finally got down on the ground and stretched out, and as a wave after wave of glory rolled over me, I told the Lord that if He didn't hold up a bit, there would be a dead man in the cornfield. That's what I call sanctification. Thirdly, this morning, sanctification is in the New Testament primarily has to do with our our restoration to the image of God, which was marred in the fall. You see, what took place in that Garden of Eden that day, when Adam and Eve sinned, was that when they sinned, a curse was placed then on all of humankind. From every generation they would be born into sin. And God said in Genesis when he created man and woman that he created them in his image, right? That image then became marred. And so what Jesus Christ did when he came, he gave us that perfect picture of God. And what the true image of God should look like. And, be. and it's only Him and His Holy Spirit that can make us more and more like Him each and every day. To help illustrate this point this morning, the early church followers illustrated this by a story that there was a, an artist who had painted a picture. And through the years, that picture became marred. And people couldn't even recognize it anymore. Until one day that artist realized the only way the people would truly understand that picture was if he had the original again to repaint it. And that's what happened when Jesus Christ came. He is God. And we know that when he came in the incarnation and took on the flesh and wrapped it around him, we know that it was God walking right here on earth. And that it's through His example that we know how to live. And His example of how He taught us to live. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now I want you to make a note in your Bible. Glory all the way through the New Testament is interchanged with image. Glory and image. Look it up in the original Greek. Glory and image are interchanged. Inter- so Romans three twenty three. Let's read again. For all have sinned and fall short of the image of God. Second Corinthians chapter three verse eighteen says, "And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory or image, are being transformed into His likeness with ever increasing glory or image." which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Praise the Lord. The last point this morning is the Holy Spirit is the agent of sanctifying grace. I often tell believers when they come and ask me, I have tried to live as a Christian. Pastor, I've done everything I can and I've done this and I've done that. And they go through this whole list and I say, you know what I hear? It's what you've done. It's not about us. It's about what God can do in and through us. And folks, if you're trying to walk and live the Christian walk through your own strength, you will fail. And it's only through His sanctifying power, through His Holy Spirit, that lives in our hearts. He is the one. He is the one that changes our lives and makes us more like Him. You can't do it. You can't make yourself holy. It's impossible. Holiness is a God tribute. And only God can begin to make you more like Him. I want to share with you in closing illustration here. It's a video. It's about eight minutes long. And we cut it down as much as we could. But it is a profound video. Just a clip of a background here for you so you understand it. It's, it's a story of a man who has a heart attack. Uh, And he realizes his life is out of control. He realizes that he's got to change his life or or he's headed uh, for, for hell itself. And so he gives his whole heart and life fully to God. He surrenders everything. And then the rest of the movie is about what happens to his life and how God transforms it. Now, we don't have time to see all that storyline behind there, but it gives you a little bit of what's going on. It's called Not a Fan. Let's watch it together. So let me
1: just come right out and ask you a question.
0: Are you a follower
1: of Jesus, or are you really just a fan? Now, take your time with your answer. Don't rush it. It may be the most important question you ever ask yourself. In fact, let me ask you a few other questions to help you answer that one honestly. Here's the first question. Have you made a decision to believe in Jesus or have you committed to following Jesus? See, I think a lot of people at some point in their life made a decision to believe. And they believe that Jesus is God's son, but they never really made a commitment to follow Jesus. Maybe that's you. At some point in your life, someone shared with you John 3:16. A number of months ago at the church I work at, I received an email from a man who said he didn't want to be a part of the church anymore. And the only reason he gave was, I don't like Kyle's preaching. Well, that begs for more of an explanation. And so even though I didn't know him, I just picked up the phone and called him when he answered. I said, hi, this is Kyle Eidelman. I understand you're leaving the church because you don't like my sermons. Well, this caught him off guard, as I thought it might. There was some awkward silence, but then he began to ramble as he explained what he meant by that. And in the middle of his explanation, he said something that got my attention. In fact, I pulled over to the side of the road and I wrote it down. Here's what he said. Whenever I listen to you preach, I feel like you're trying to interfere with my life. He was saying, I believe in Jesus. I'm a fan of Jesus, but don't ask me to follow. I'll come to church on the weekends. I'll pray before my meals. I'll throw some money in the plate, but I don't want Jesus interfering with my life.
2: Thomas Carter, please. Eric Nelson from DCIM. Yes, I will. Eric, what are you doing? Fixing a problem. Watch and learn. Eric? Thomas, how you doing? Listen, I just got off the phone with Tim. Tim's my boss. I was able to knock him down to 15%. Frank said 20? Wow. That's, yeah, Frank's, Frank's Frank, you know. That's why you're probably gonna wanna go with me on this. I'll fax it over. Glad to have your business. (laughs) You too. Thank you, bye.
3: What? I I just can't believe that you're the same guy that sits down the pew for me on Sundays.
2: This isn't church, it's business. The sooner you learn that, the better.
1: The problem is when Jesus defined our relationship with him, being a fan wasn't an option. Jesus says in Luke 9, 23, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. And Jesus was making it clear that to call yourself a Christian is more than just an intellectual acceptance about who He is. It's following Him with your whole heart. If you read through the Gospels, you will find that about five times Jesus says, believe in me. But about 20 times, He says, follow me. A lot of fans see Jesus as one of many important things. But in verse 33, Jesus says, any of you who does not give up everything, He has, cannot be my disciple. And uh, the crowds begin to thin out. The fans start to go home. See, fans admire Jesus, but followers are devoted to Him. They're willing to sacrifice for Him. And here's a question to ask yourself. Has following Jesus cost me anything? Has it cost me a promotion? Has it cost me popularity? You really don't know if you are devoted to something or someone until sacrifice is required. And so fans admire, but followers are devoted. Is your relationship with Jesus moving from casual to committed? You know, really, that question is answered when the relationship is tested. If I perform a wedding, the bride and groom will repeat their vows of commitment after me. They'll say, for better or worse, richer or poorer, in sickness and in health. But you know, really, those are just words until they're tested. And worse becomes infertility. Poor becomes foreclosure. Sickness becomes a wheelchair. And when it's tested, then you know if it's committed. Here's another question. Are there certain areas of your life labeled off limits? Or does Jesus have all access? A fan will have certain doors of their life that Jesus isn't allowed into, and so they may say, Jesus, I give you the key to my heart, but in reality, they have some doors that that key won't open, and maybe the key you give him won't open the door labeled money or the door labeled relationships or success or work. Those are areas that you've decided are off limits, and so we say, Jesus, I give you my life," but. It's kind of this exception clause. I mean, there are certain things that aren't included. Jesus, make yourself at home, but stay out of the bedroom. You can come to work, but there's certain meetings you don't get to attend. There's some nights I'm gonna go out with my friends. You don't get to come along. And so we try to define the relationship on our terms. And yet Jesus made it clear that if we are to follow him, it requires a complete commitment. In fact, the very first sermon he ever preached, called the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talked about all kinds of areas that you and I tend to label as off-limits. I mean, he talked about lust and sex, marriage and divorce. He talked about money and stress. even talked about politics because he wanted to make it clear that a relationship with him is all-inclusive, that a follower gives Jesus the master key See, we, we say to Jesus, I don't mind you making some changes in my life, but Jesus wants to turn your life upside down. We say, I don't mind a little bit of touch-up work. Jesus wants complete renovation. We're thinking tune-up. He's thinking overhaul. We think a little decorating. Why not? But Jesus wants a complete remodel. He will not settle for a relationship with you where he gets some small box of your life labeled religion. He won't settle for just a few seconds of your day before you fall asleep at night and whisper some prayers to him. He he won't settle for just an hour a week on Sunday that you check off your list. No, Jesus wants you to love him the same way that he loves you with all of your heart.
0: Would you stand with us this morning? I ask you that very question. Are you a fan? Or are you a follower? Have you fully committed your whole life to Jesus Christ? Are you allowing Him to shape your life day after day? Maybe there's some individuals here this morning that say, Pastor, you know, I... I've never made that commitment. I've asked him a long time ago to forgive my sins, but I have not surrendered my all to him. And there's no question I need to do that. There may be some people here this morning that says, Pastor, I, I have done that. I, I've given my all to him, but I sure have not been walking as I should be walking. And it's time for me to recommit my heart, my all, my, all of my life to And there may be some of us this morning that are saying, Thank you, God, for sharing with me, Lord, the commitment I made to you many, many years ago and how you have shaped me. I'm not perfect. I'm not even maybe where I'd like to be. But God, thank you for what you're doing in my life. Would you just bow your heads where you are this morning? I'd like the prayer partners to come forward this morning. Would you just simply obey the Lord this morning? Would you allow Him to speak to your heart? And if you would like to make that commitment to Him this morning and say, Lord, I want you to take everything. Not just part, but all. I wonder this morning if you'd make that step of faith walk out of your seat and come to this altar. May this be the day today that you can mark down on your spiritual calendar. The Lord is Lord of all of my life. There's a saying we say in church, the Lord is not Lord at all unless He's Lord of all. Would you obey this morning as we Jim sings. Giving you my heart
3: and all that is within, I lay it all down for the sake of you, my Sun
1: to search our hearts, God.
3: I surrender all to you, all to you. Lord Jesus, thank you for this moment. Thank you for what you're doing up and down this altar as you're ministering and meeting needs. I pray, Lord, that your perfect will will be accomplished, Lord. As you continue to minister to these needs, may your perfect will be completed in every heart. There have been some bitter tears cried at this altar this morning. That's the way it is when we're surrendering everything. Because many of those things represent the most precious things in our lives you ask us to give them to you so that you can make them holy and clean and that we can be Christ-like there have been many of our men up here praying this morning Lord and for men this is a real challenge because we tend to keep things to ourselves But God, today, may there be absolutely nothing held back. As Pastor Rocky said, not a door left that you can't open and expose to the wonderful light and cleansing power of God. Thank you for what you're doing right now at this altar and what you've already done. We thank you, Lord, for the day and for the opportunity that it holds for every one of us as we just let God do a special work in our hearts and our lives. Thank you for the way you've ministered to our people and through Pastor Rocky as he's spoken to us today. Guide and direct and lead, Lord, in everything that we're going to do and say and as we're going to worship you in spirit and in truth, would you just guide our steps and lead us so that we are truly the people of god christ-like in everything that we say and do god we want revival to come to our community and we want it to begin wherever you choose for it to begin and if you would so honor us may it begin with us as we surrender our all to you thank you for what you have done thank you for what you're going to do may your perfect will be accomplished and we will give you praise Christ's wonderful name, we ask it. Amen. I think we ought to give the Lord a praise, 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 praise for a glorious time in his presence this morning. God is good.